1: Hello everyone and welcome to episode 120 of the Spurs Up show, the best Gamecocks podcast on the internet. Got a packed show for you guys as I talk Tank Bigsby, Tonka Hemingway, a freshman shining during fall camp and much more. Also have a fantastic interview with former Gamecocks playmaker Ace Sanders as we discuss his path to South Carolina winning the SEC East in 2010. His punt return touchdowns against ECU and Georgia, his miraculous 2012 punt return against Missouri, being a fourth-round selection in the 2013 NFL Draft, his experience in the NFL, life after football, and much, much more. Before we get into all that – this is a podcast written to you by our friends over at Tanny Hill's Group Therapy. Tanny Hill's Group Therapy, the oldest bar in Five Points, owned by legendary USC quarterback Steve Tanny Hill. They've got great specials there for you guys, including Taco Tuesday, Wing Wednesday. They've got it all for you. They're perfect if you're a local, if you're in town in Columbia and you want to grab a bite to eat during the week, or if you're out in the town. Maybe you're in town for game day or you want to get out one night and have a good time. They're the place to go. That's Tanny Hill's Group Therapy. Again, Tanny Hill's Group Therapy, located down in Five Points. Be sure to check them out and tell them Chris and spurs up show you. Chris Phillips your host the Spurs Up Show as always. Appreciate you guys tuning in. Uh, apologies if that ad read was a little rough there. Obviously the first ever show with Tanny Hill's Group Therapy being the presenting sponsor of the Spurs Up Show. I'm still working out the kinks, getting used to it a little bit. So guys just bear with me, but obviously really do appreciate Steve Tanny Hill and the guys over at Tanny Hill's Group Therapy. Very very excited. I already talked on last week's show Thursday about the uh, the partnership and things of that nature. A couple of housekeeping items to get to. Uh, before we get into the show, because obviously I have a ton to talk about, though, more sponsorships are on the way. So very, very exciting stuff and something I wanted to let you guys know about. Uh, I'll be announcing those this week as they become official, as agreements are signed and things of that nature. But you guys may have seen me tweet some things or put up some pictures on Instagram. But very, very exciting stuff coming for, you know, myself, the Spurs Up show. Anyone who is a fan of the Spurs Up show, just more opportunity and more opportunity to bring a lot of fun, exciting content to you guys as well. So I'm really, really pumped about it and think you guys should be as well um also if you haven't done so do me a favor click the pause button right now on this podcast go to iTunes Spotify Stitcher Google Play wherever you're listening to this podcast right now do me a favor go rate and review the show go leave it five stars or leave your feedbacks any opinion you have anything you want to see in the show maybe I'm not doing if you have any appreciation whatever you want to do but go leave a review for the show it actually helps other people to find the show whenever they're looking for Gamecocks podcast it's going to help it show up uh first so please do that, do me that favor do me that solid Go leave a, uh, leave a five-star review for the show. I'd really appreciate it. Also, I want to say take a moment to say thank you to all the Gamecock fans. Obviously, Saturday was fan day. Uh, I was in attendance. My family was there as well. And uh, just want to say thanks to all the fans who came up, said hello, talked a little Gamecock football, talked a little Gamecock sports, and showed their support. Really, it does mean a lot. And uh, I really can't uh, express my gratitude and be thankful enough to you guys because without the fans, the Spurs Up show – wouldn't really exist it <laughs> wouldn't it wouldn't be what it is today so I just want to say to the fans those that did take the time to interact and you know give me their support or just really just talk gamecocks really that's the most fun part to me is just being able to interact with fans and kind of hear you guys thoughts on the season and what we all think is going to happen I know we're all dying for kickoff at this point we're uh we're under 20 days away now and you're listening to this not right around 19 days whenever you're listening to this uh, I, I know we're I know me again I think I said last week though we're all getting to the point where it's like we're all so... We've talked about it almost as much as we can. Obviously, you can always talk football, but it's like, let's just spot the damn ball already. It's getting to that point. But, uh, again, appreciate the fans all at Fan Day. It was a pleasure, blast to meet all you guys. And One of my favorite parts, genuinely, I really do enjoy meeting the people, you know, that uh, that make this thing go. So I really do appreciate it. So, all right, like I said, let's get into a packed show, obviously. Uh, I'm going to start with a talking point that happened after I released last week's show, and that is the commitment of Tank Bigsby to Auburn. Obviously, he made his announcement on Friday night at 6.30 at his high school to commit to the Auburn Tigers, something that most people were expecting. I'm 0 for 1 now on my picks for, for commits, so I guess I'll just have to live with that. But overall, Tank Bigsby commi- commits to Auburn. I, I, I don't think – you know, there were certainly – it's social media, right? So some people freaked out. I thought everybody kind of saw it coming, if you will, and I will even admit, even though I, you know, I, I'm someone who's optimistic and thought the Gamecocks had as good a chance as anybody, but for whatever reason, Tank Bigsby decided to commit to Auburn. The way I feel about this situation though is i I think South Carolina still is in a really, really good spot to eventually land him um because you have to think about right now with Auburn I mean listen, kids don't commit to schools because of the season they have or if they're you know it obviously helps if you're a winning program if you're going to championships or whatever but it, there's a lot that goes into recruiting a lot of it is the kids genuinely his fit at the school, how comfortable he feels, his relationship with the coaches like a lot of that plays more into you know, a kid's decision than you would think versus, oh, they won this game or they won that game or they won X, Y, Z amount of games that season. But, you know, with Auburn, they're in a very, you know, interesting situation with if they have a bad year this year, I mean, there's a really good chance Gus Malzahn is looking for a new job. And to me, it's like, how could Tank Bigsby, I I expect South Carolina's coaching staff to fully stay on him and not back off. I mean, I, I just think this is a kid they really want. They still want to go get. You've still got Marshawn Lloyd, who I think has been trying to recruit him to South Carolina. And, Heck, I believe Tank Biggs even said he wants to play with Marshawn Lloyd. So, if the if rough times hit the plains down there in Auburn, I'm gonna I I have a hard time believing he's going to stick to that commitment. I mean, to me, it just seems again hard to believe that he would stick with that with a new head coach coming in. Now, maybe it depends on who the head coach is going to be and things of that nature. But uh, I think the Gamecocks are still fully in that recruitment. Again, I know he wanted to make a decision before the season, kind of get it out of the way, which is perfectly understandable. A lot of these guys are doing that now. But I think South Carolina is very much still in the hunt, still in the race, which is why I'll say to fans, anyone listening, be careful what you say on social media about a kid because if the kid winds up flipping and picking South Carolina, we all just feel a little bit silly when that happens. So, again, Tank Bigsby committing to Auburn. I mean, it's it's not what you wanted, but I think in the long term, in the long play, again, South Carolina's got till December to flip this kid and. I, I think it's a possibility. I do. I think it's a possibility to get him. One guy I think South Carolina will certainly get, and the kid announced his, uh, made his announcement when he is announcing via social media, that is four-star defensive tackle Tonka Hemingway out of Conway, South Carolina. Um, he said he announced he's making his, his announcement this Tuesday, August 13th at 3.30 at Conway High School. He will be choosing between South Carolina, North Carolina, Duke, Vanderbilt, and Wake Forest. I think this is one that um, – you know most big guys have had or most people have had a really really good feeling on since the beginning of the recruiting process I mean with all due respect you look at his list of schools South Carolina North Carolina Duke Vanderbilt and Wake Forest um I, I think if, you, if you're a Gamecock fan I mean you have to feel pretty good about it I mean you you know not to throw any shade or disrespect at those programs but if you're Will Muschamp and if you're a T-Rob and you're doing the job you should be you feel like that's a kid you should be able to keep and stay and land um Again, he'll be announcing Tuesday at 330 against 6'3", 255 is where he sits right now. And I think as Will Muschamp continues to develop and build that defensive line and build that front seven and build the defensive front to what he wants it to be, a guy like Tonka Hemingway is simply just one you have to get. You have to get uh, stay, keep, keep him at home and, and keep him on campus. So I think they will get him. Uh, I'll put my 0-1 record on the test and say they get Tonka Hemingway Tuesday afternoon. Obviously, we'll have full coverage of it on the Spurs Up show. But, uh, you know, I, I think they get Tonka. I really do. And I think it's a big pickup for South Ghana to reestablish some recruiting momentum for the 2020 class. Um, one guy I do want to talk about, obviously, again, there's not a ton to pull from fall camp right now, since because USC keeps everything so under wraps. We're really not getting to see anything. Um, South Ghana's first scrimmage actually coming this week, I believe, Tuesday at williams Stadium. But one guy, one quote that I saw that I want to talk about from fall camp. Uh, a guy that you know, people are asking, could he be a breakout star for South Carolina this year? Um, and that is Xavier Leggett, freshman wide receiver Xavier Leggett. Jake Bentley was quoted on Saturday afternoon saying, quote, he has looked really good. I think he's going to help us this year for sure. Now, does that mean 100% that Xavier Leggett is going to be a guy that has a even a shy Smith type freshman season? I, I'm not saying that. But what I am saying is that when your fourth year starting quarterback is going out of his way to say, to speak on how well you've been performing, to say that you're going to help the football team. Um, I think that's got to make you feel pretty good as a South Carolina fan. Again, you take a look at Xavier Leggett, you know, he came in as an athlete, 6'3, 190 overall. So really, really good size on the kid. They love the athleticism about it as well. And I, what I remember about Xavier Leggett and the recruitment of him is that it felt like it was a really good feel good story. You know, a kid from Mullen, South Carolina that maybe was overlooked a little bit, but wanted to come play for his home, his home his, uh, home state school, you know, his home team school, if you will. and you know, I think would be, it almost feels, and I don't want to put this type of pressure on the kid, but it almost feels like sort of a Debo Samuel type situation where maybe he's a little bit overlooked in the recruiting process, but a kid who's local, a kid who wants to stay home, make a name for himself. And, you know, I mean, I think Xavier Leggett maybe could be that kind of feel good story. Now, again, I'm not saying he's going to be Debo Samuel, have any type of impact like Debo Samuel had, but uh, to hear those things about a kid like that, you know, a, a freshman who's, trying to make a name for himself, to have, again, your fourth-year starting quarterback go out of his way to talk about how well you've been doing and the fact that he thinks you can make a big impact, I think, should go a long way. And maybe you're hey, – who knows? Maybe Xavier Leggett is a guy to watch this season. They've actually talked about he's been working on punt return. Um, so, I think, you know, that that'll be a competition to watch, and it will say a lot about the athleticism and the – the upside, what they think of Xavier Leggett if he's able to take that punt return job away from Brian Edwards. Because I know Brian's not the most explosive guy in the world in regards to punt return. I've talked about before, he's not the guy that you look at and say, that's his prototypical, that's going to be his position. Like Brian Edwards isn't built to me to be a punt returner full time. But even with that, Brian Edwards is dependable. And Brian Edwards can make guys miss and he's a a senior. And if a guy like Xavier Leggett is able to take that position, I think it's going to speak volumes to. The type of impact the coaching staff thinks he could provide, the type of type of athleticism he has, and probably really his maturity too, because again, that's a position where a lot of coaches go safe because it's a scary position. I mean, South Carolina's seen firsthand you can win and lose games through special teams and a fun or a fumble and a punt or what have you, a mishap in that regard. I mean, you can lose a football game that way. So I think it will speak a lot if he can win that position. But obviously, good to hear again. I think it's exciting for Gamecock fans. And listen. These are the little tidbits we have to pull from fall camp before kickoff gets here, because there's really not a whole lot else um, to be on, uh, to be honest, and unfortunately. So that's why I will say I really do appreciate you guys' listener questions and voicemails because it keeps these couple of weeks before we get to the season. Again, not that they're not lively, but it liven's them up even more because there's only a limited amount of things we can talk about because USC keeps everything so under wraps in regards to uh practices and it's not like we get to watch USC scrimmage on Tuesday afternoon, right? So um but anyways let's get into the listener questions. Like I mentioned, got a lot of good ones, a lot of good talking points. Active a voicemail as well from Andrew. Uh, so let's go ahead and get to this voicemail here.
2: Hey Chris, this is Andrew. Uh just want to say thank you for all you've done so far at the Spurs Up show and I'm just really excited to see where you guys go with it. Uh, my first question is where do you think
1: the defense is gonna go? Um, how long before we are a dominant force again in the SEC? I know this year you've talked about how good we're going to be and got me excited.
2: Um, secondary, young, the talented defensive lines, looking us but But how, how long before we're back to the days of just being an absolute unit on the defensive side, uh, top three in the SEC? The next season, season after that, what do you think? Um, my second question is, will Thomas Floyd ever come back to the podcast? I always enjoyed the banter between you two and would just love to hear it again. Yeah, thank you for all you do, and just absolute love, absolutely love the content, and again, can't wait to see where you guys go. Thanks. Bye. All
1: right, Andrew. Appreciate the voice, man, and definitely appreciate the kind words and support you provide. I'll start first with the first uh, question you had about the Gamecocks defense, because I think it's a really interesting point you bring up. And, that, you know, it's I feel like I get one of those questions every single week for every single show is, when is South Carolina going to be back? When is South Carolina going to be back to – a 9, 10, 11-win team again, like we saw in 2010 to 2013. I mean, it it really, to me, simply comes down to when you're specifically talking about the defense. Is it going to be this year, next year, two years, three years? Well, I can tell you this. On the recruiting trail, getting a guy like Jordan Burch, if you're talking about getting this defense back to an elite level, like not just in the SEC, but on a national college football scale like what South Carolina had, when it had Jadavion Clowney, when it had Melvin Ingram, when it had Stephon Gilmore, DJ Swearinger, all these names we talk about, it all starts in recruiting. I mean, it just truly, truly does. Now, I'm excited for the Gamecocks' defense this year. I'm not saying they're going to be elite in that regard and you know shut everybody out, whatever. But I think South Carolina's going to have a top half of the league defense. I think they have as much upside and as athletic, as much athleticism as we as we've seen going into this year since 2013. Now. A lot of their success is going to depend on staying healthy. That's going to be a big one, staying healthy. Um, guys stepping up and filling in roles like we hope, like in the secondary. Young guys playing well and stepping up. The linebackers being a lot better. T.J. Brunson really leading that group. Sharad Green needs to have prog- uh, progress. Ernest Jones is a guy that needs to have taken that next step from his first year to second. Eldred Thompson a guy that needs to have come back from injury in his final season and play well for South Carolina. Racendo Lewis is a guy to me that needs to step up and be that hard hitter, that thumper that we all heard about him being during the recruiting process. And then, obviously, the Gamecocks' defensive front. I mean, Javon Kinlaw needs to have his best year in Garnet and Black, no questions asked. Ricky Sanich, Kingsley Nibari, those guys need to step up and make what happened last year with them being exposed as freshmen, make it worth it, make it pay off and show out this year. Um, A guy like, you know, Will Muschamp has talked about all the seniors on the defensive front, Keir Thomas, Kobe Smith, Javon Kinlaw – DJ won them, all these – they need to have their best year. I mean, they, they simply need to have their best year in Garnet and Black. And I think the Gamecocks need to simply get back to taking the football off of people. They weren't really good at that last year, and that was their bread and butter in 2017. And it's 100% the reason I think they won nine games. So, I'm very, very excited for the Gamecocks defense this year. I really am. Uh, I'm a little bit hesitant to say, you know, if you heard my season my, uh, my my season preview predictions, if you have heard my predictions for the season, I got the Gamecocks at 7-5. and five. And I don't think I really predicted the season reflecting the excitement that I have for the defense because I feel very wait and see right now. I mean, I think it could happen. And I think the Gamecocks do have as much talent on their defense since 2013. I truly believe that. And I think that defense has as good an opportunity to be as to have their best defense since that 2013 team because it hasn't really been that great since. But uh, I don't see it being an elite level defense this year. Now, you're asking how long before then. Um, you know, that all depends on, again, a guy like Jordan Birch. Uh, to me, you just ha- – I mean, you have to get a guy like Jordan Birch. Uh, you think about what could be – what you could potentially have coming back next year, and then you think the following year. I mean, yes, you lose Javon Kenlaw, You're going to lose some seniors up front, no question. But if you could have a defensive line with uh, Zach Pickens being either a redshirt freshman or a sophomore, Jordan Birch being a freshman, that's two five-stars on your defensive line. I mean, th- that's the type of talent you have to get to build the type of defense that you are talking about, an elite-level defense. I mean, I you know, I don't want to make it – I know it sounds crazy because it seems so simple, but to me it really is that simple. You've got to have the guys out there to make those plays. And a guy like Jordan Burch is why I've said on this show before and before, and, you know, listen, I mean, it's like I was upset about not getting tanked. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I wasn't upset, upset, but, I mean, I was like, dang, disappointed, like, want to get him. But to me, Jordan Burch is the guy that – he's going to make or break this class for South Carolina. I mean, if that's just a guy you have to get. You have to get him. to that. Jordan Burch is the type of recruit who can turn a program, who can turn things around for a program. Similar to how – and I, I, don't wanna, I don't know if maybe Jadavion Clowney isn't – because South Carolina sort of had it going a little bit at that point. They won the SEC East in 2010 without him. But uh, the way Jadavion Clowney took that program to the next level defensively I think Jordan Burch, a guy like – I'm not saying he'd beat Jadavion Clowney, but it's a a step in the right direction to get a guy like that. So, to give you – long-winded answer here. To give you a prediction, I'd say two to three years. Um, I think the Gamecocks are two to three years away as far as having that elite defense, top three in the SEC, top 15 or ten, top 10 nationally. Um, I think they're two, three years away because I think on defense what's so important is building depth. And that's something you're still seeing right now, even in year four. Will Muschamp is battling the depth, the, the the depth question. When you look at the secondary, when you look at, you know, the front seven should be as good as it's been, the best front seven that they've had under Will Muschamp. But I mean, you know, they're still fighting that uphill battle. So it's still built. And, and again, I'm saying that with I'm saying that while also saying that I'm excited as hell about this year's defense. I mean, I think this year's defense has an opportunity to win some games for South Carolina. But to get to the level that you're talking about, you know, you got to keep building. You got to keep building, which is why I think people should kind of give Will Muschamp and you know another couple of years. I mean, it's just you've got to get the guys in there. But getting a guy like Jordan Birch, getting it, you have to get him. I mean, you just have to land him. There's really no excuse. You've got his teammate Alex Huntley already committed, who's a big time guy. Who, again, I talked about who will be up front. I mean, listen, I, this isn't even me taking in everybody. But you think of a defensive line with Zach Pickens, Alex Huntley, and Jordan Birch. Then you think of all the guys you'd have coming back next year with Sandage, Ending Barre. Aaron Sterling, Brad Johnson. I mean, you got some dudes. I mean, that, that's that's some dudes. I mean, that we – we you know, and I think which is why a lot of people are looking at 2020 is, like, that needs to be a breakout year because, I mean, you're going to start having some dudes. I mean, but South Carolina just simply has to recruit. But I think two to three years, um, I think South Carolina will be back to that. And, I mean, I'll just be completely blunt and honest with you. I think if they're not back to that, I think Will Champs' seat will be hot because he is a defensive guy. So, the defense needs to get to, get to that level – sooner rather than later um the second part of your questions you asked about thomas floyd so yeah so i've had some other people ask you about this as well um so kind of the story just to kind of give you i I don't know that i really even, even ever explained what happened with the thomas floyd situation so me and tom obviously still really really good friends still talk all the time stuff like that but uh you know obviously during baseball season baseball wasn't tom's strong suit if you will not a baseball guy which is understandable a lot of people aren't so I decided hey for the baseball season let's just you know let let me do the show I'll run through it I can knock out baseball really effectively really quickly um, you know I think it really just got to the point with Tom that listen Tom, Tom is a kid he's in college he's got a lot going on he's going to law school for those of you that didn't know I mean a guy that's really busy and got a ton going and obviously with the Spurs Up show the way it's developed me moving to Columbia I mean it's you know, you guys know I'm 120% in and, uh, you know, it's, uh, you know, really it's, it's nothing personal. It's nothing personal at all, but it's more of a business decision in the sense that like, he's got a lot going on. I've got a lot going on. And I think what I was asking of him was maybe, you know, I'm not trying to take away from the quality of his life or take away from the things he's trying to do with his own career. I mean, he's trying to get into football as well and be a coach and things like that. So he's got a lot going on. Um, there may I, – I will say this that maybe you'll be excited about. I think there will be – I don't know if I want to call it like a throwback episode, but I think there will be an episode where I bring on Tom uh, as a guest just for fun, just to kind of relive the old days of us doing the show together. Um, but I, I don't want you guys to be wondering if you're going to see Tom again for football season or anything like that. I mean, it's just – again, it's just a, a timing issue, time issue with him and kind of where I'm moving the business, the direction I'm going, and you just kind of have to make decisions on – you know what's best for you and obviously what's best for him as well i mean again the, the goals that he's chasing and the things he's trying to do and i mean it eats up at your time man i mean I, I couldn't be a law student i mean i can tell you that right now and he's trying to be a football coach as well i mean there's a lot going on in his life and you know i, I mean it's good stuff I mean, 100 100 percent supportive and again i told you guys we're we're still very good friends communicate daily but uh you know, that's just kind of in the situation. But, you know, I, I appreciate the kind words because Tom, again, is a really good buddy of mine. I, I will definitely have him back on. We've actually talked about it before. Having him back on is like a, is a guest for like a just kind of a fun talking football segment, just kind of reliving the old days again of, of Chris and Tom doing the Spurs Up show. So, again, to give you guys a little bit more clarity, that that's the situation there. Um, all right, so let's get into the listener questions on Instagram, uh, J underscore Matthias 1719. Who of the remaining three, Tonka, Birch, and Grimes, who will we get in the 2020 class? Well, I think there's a good chance you get all three of them, to be honest with you. Um, You know, I think Tonka's a get. I I 100% would say Tonka's a get. Uh, Grimes, I know a lot of people have been feeling really good about him. I'll say he's probably a get as well. And then Jordan Birch is obviously the one that everybody wants to know about. And, and I mean, again, you know, I'm trying to – because one recruit doesn't make an entire class or one player doesn't make an entire team. But I can just – I'm going to give you guys a heads up and a little bit of a warning. If we don't get – if South Carolina does not get Jordan Birch, you will see me as upset about a recruit or recruiting as you've ever seen or heard me be. And I'm not talking about tweeting at a kid or tweeting bad things about the kid, anything like that. That's just – you know, we all know that's, that's not what you do. That's stupid. But upset in the regards of how do you not get the kid? Just how do you not get him? Because here's the way I look at it. And again, this may be be kind of harsh. And if you disagree with me, I'd love to hear your thoughts and opinions. Because again, I'm a guy that truly believes when it comes to Will Muschamp, I think Gamecock fans really need to settle in, get comfortable and give Will Muschamp an opportunity to build this program. Give him three, at least three to four more years because a program, you're never going to get anywhere as a program firing a head coach three or four years into it because you're not happy with, what your rival's doing, or maybe a result here and there, or the belt bowl, you're just not going to build a program firing a coach after four seasons. You're just not going to do it. But what I will say is this. If Will Muschamp doesn't get a guy like Jordan Burch, when you have his teammate committed who he's best friends with, when the kid is five minutes down the road or is right in your backyard at Hammond High School in Columbia, South Carolina, when you've had him at the facility, you've knowingly had him at the facility and had him on campus probably more than anyone. With all that, if you can't get the kid, to me it's like, why is Will Muschamp even the head coach? I mean, he's the head coach to recruit. I mean, that's the biggest thing. When Muschamp was hired, it's like this guy's going to recruit, and again, he has, he, and he's going to continue to. But I mean, if you're going to if you're going to tout this, I'm the baddest, the biggest baddest recruiter in the land. You got to get that guy. I mean, you've got to land that kid. So. Again, I know recruiting class isn't built around one player, but I've told people, like, you know, I do care about all the other recruits South Carolina gets, but Jordan Burch is the one that if they don't get him, this class will not feel like a success. And, again, that, I know that may sound a little harsh, but if you're really turning this program around and you're getting into the direction it needs to go, you got to get Jordan Birch. you got to get a kid like that when he's right there in your backyard under your nose, you've got to get him, Period. Uh, Matt pack underscore aha. What's been something you didn't expect about Columbia after a week of being there? You know, it's funny. I really, because so last week for me was insane. I mean, just the moving and trying to get everything set up. And I mean, it was craziness. So I really don't think I've had the, the chance to experience enough to say I found something unexpected. um, I don't know. I, I really can't think of one thing that it was like, wow, that's surprising, but I haven't been able to, I haven't been able to get out long enough and really experience anything to be like, Oh, I'm surprised by that. So I, ask me this question again. Um, ask me this question again in a week, next week's show. I'll have a much, much better answer for you. Um, thief spams underscore Y T. What do you think? What do you think about people saying we're going to lose to Clemson? They suck. I mean, Clemson sucks, but they also don't suck. So, I mean, I've predicted Clemson to beat Carolina this year as much as I want to see Carolina beat Clemson. Clemson doesn't suck, man. I hate to tell you. Um, snack underscore boy, can Jake Bentley finish with a strong senior season? I 100% think he can. And especially you add in Tavian Feaster. I mean, I talked about before. I think I I think the pressure's on. I mean, there, there's no excuse. If, if Tavian Feaster's that guy, which – I mean, with all the hype coming around him, and they brought him on campus, he better be that guy. But uh, now, I think Jake Bentley certainly can have a big senior season. I think he needs to for South Carolina to have a have a good year, no doubt. Um, cocktails and dreams. Anyone here who's looking like the number two at the quarterback position, I think it's something we're just we're not really going to know until uh, until they announce And That's going to be for the after the second scrimmage. I think they said. And the first one's coming up on Tuesday, I believe. The second one will be a week from then. I could be wrong. I have to look at the schedule. But uh, I, I mean, I, I don't think they've really given any indication of who's going to be the number two. I, I don't think they've really let anything out, and I think that's just something we're going to kind of have to wait and see on. Um, Lord Delmo 4 What do you think about the this, what do you think about the team's attitude this year? Could it affect our gameplay? Um I mean I think I think you gotta like the team's attitude you know for everything we've we've heard and seen about them talking about the schedule and you know they're kind of embracing it. I mean they're embracing playing a tough schedule and they're embracing you know taking on all the great teams they're playing against. I mean I, you know I think the attitude's good. I mean there's nothing that I've seen that would say the attitude's not good. Um but you know I mean you you can have a good attitude and play like crap. So it's all about going out there, and again, I think it'll be imperative for South Carolina to get off a, to a fast start against North Carolina, especially after what happened in the Belt Bowl, the last time they were in that stadium, how badly they looked, for example, if it's zero, zero or North Carolina's up seven to nothing or three to nothing, you get shut out that first quarter, there's going to be a lot of negative feelings and a lot of negative emotions going through people's heads because of South Carolina hasn't scored a point in six quarters. So <clears throat> getting off to a fast start in that one to me is super important. Um, but, no, I, I mean, I think the team's attitude is fantastic from everything I've seen and heard. Um, Emory Moore, Jr., time to be worried about the 2020 class. I would say no. I mean, again, I you know, I, I would say no. I mean, you still have plenty of time. That's the thing. I mean, again, you're probably referring to, like, tank. I mean, when a kid, you know, when a kid commits, I mean, it, it's still August. We've got till December. I mean, you know, I, I don't think it's time to worry or time to hit the panic button necessarily. Um, but, again, you, you heard me what I said about Jordan Birch, and there are certain guys you've just got to get, man. Um, so, no, I don't think it's time at all to hit the panic button. But, uh, you know, as we get closer to December, obviously, you're, you're going to be the, – the, the sense of urgency is going to definitely set in. Uh, guys you need to land and guys you need to lock down and bring on campus. Um, Jay Castlin 9 which game will we see the team's full potential? Man, hopefully the first one. <laughs> I mean, hopefully the first one. Is the one where we see the team's full potential, um, but you know, overall, I mean, you know, it's—I don't know. I mean, midseason, beginning of season. I mean, that—that's the biggest thing: is how quickly can you hit that full potential is going to determine probably how good of a season you have. Um, so, to me, I mean, again, I hope it's—I hope it's the—the the first snap against North Carolina. But realistically, you're probably looking at the halfway point. Halfway point of the year, we'll really know what this team's about. We'll know who this team is at that point. Um, let's see. On Twitter, at Crickaboomboom. Very nice handle there. Who's calling the offensive plays, McClendon or Muschamp? I feel like last year the play caller became conservative. After momentum was established, am I right or no? Please expand. I mean, I definitely think it's Brian McClendon. If, if Will Muschamp is calling plays, we've got a major issue. Um, I, I mean, I've talked about it before, my biggest thing is Will Muschamp, and I think he's gotten a lot better than this since his days at Florida. I think this is something that a lot of coaches have to learn to do is just kind of step back and let your assistants work for you because South Carolina to me has got two of the best assistants in the entire country and Brian McClendon and T Rob. I mean, no questions asked. I think McClendon's an extremely bright young uh, offensive mind. I think he's a guy that will eventually have a head coaching job. Hopefully, South Carolina can keep him on a couple more years. But no, McClendon's calling the plays. Um, obviously, I know South Carolina definitely seemed to go conservative at times last year. You think of the Florida game, which is the one nobody wants to think about, but uh, you know you have to hope they're just going to learn from that. I mean, that's all you can really say. I mean, I I don't uh, – That's all I'll say is that if, if Will Champ is getting anywhere near the offensive room, we've got a serious problem. So, that's just kind of my my, my two cents on it again. I appreciate the question, but Brian McClendon is certainly calling the plays, and he's more than capable. I mean, the offense got a lot better last year. Let's not pretend like it didn't, but I do agree with you. There were certainly times where – South Carolina could have been much more aggressive, could have put their foot on the gas pedal, maybe, sh- you know, close some teams out, put the nail in the coffin, and they didn't, and it came back to bite them. So, um, but I think the Gamecocks have a better year on offense. I think, Brian, I think uh, year two in that that system with Brian McClendon, I think, uh, you know, I think South Carolina's set for a good year. Um, all right, so let's get into the interview. Obviously, this is a huge, huge show with a major interview with former Gamecocks playmaker, ace sanders you notice i say playmaker because he did it all wide receiver punt returner heck he might have returned some kicks as well but it's crazy you know with ace awesome dude great conversation i mean an all-time interview for me for the spurs up show but it's funny when i was looking at ace because you know we all remember his big punt returns right we all remember his big punt returns we think of missouri we think of georgia we think of east carolina you know, those those moments that we'll never forget. I mean, people have literally said that Williams-Rice Stadium has never been louder than it was before um, when, uh, when, when he took the punt return back for a touchdown against Georgia. But, you know, what I really forgot was how great of a receiver he was. Ace had four touchdown catches his first two seasons combined for South Carolina. His third, he had nine touchdowns. Nine touchdowns. I mean, I did not remember that he had that many touchdowns, but – Overall, I mean, a fantastic interview, man. We talked about everything from how he got to South Carolina to all those big plays he made. Coach Steve Spurrier, some really funny stories with him. I think it was really cool to hear Ace open up as well about his NFL experience, um, things of that nature. So, appreciate you guys tuning in. That's going to be brought to you by our friends over at SeatGeek. SeatGeek, the best ticket-buying app by far, the only ticket-buying app I use, and the only one I would recommend. If you need any of your tickets to Gamecocks football games, please be sure to use our friends at SeatGeek. Go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP. You're going to get $10 off your first purchase. They've got tickets to literally anything and everything from Gamecocks sporting events, concerts, comedy club events, NFL, NHL, NBA. You just heard me say it doesn't have to be sports. So again, go download the SeatGeek app or go to SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code SPURSUP and save $10 off your first purchase. All right, enjoy this interview with former Gamecocks playmaker Ace Sanders. All right. Joining us today on the Spurs Up show is a man that played for Gamecocks football from 2010 to 2012. He amassed 18 total touchdowns, 13 of which are receiving three punt return touchdowns and two passing touchdowns. In 2010, he was named freshman All-SEC. He was also named SEC Special Teams Player of the Year in 2012, the first ever Gamecock to earn that honor. In 2012, he was also named All SEC first team punt return specialist and second team all-purpose by the coaches, second team all sec all-purpose by the AP. He holds the school record for punt return yards in the season with 429 yards in 2012. He averaged 15.3 yards on 28 pump returns in 2012, which was first in the SEC and fourth nationally. He was also taken in the fourth round of the 2013 NFL Draft by the Jacksonville Jaguars and currently trains athletes in his home state of Florida. I'm very pleased to welcome to the show former Gamecocks wide receiver and punt return specialist Ace Sanders. Ace, appreciate you taking the time, man. It's a pleasure to have you on. I oh,
2: appreciate it. Appreciate it.
1: I'm not going to lie. It, it was a that was a laundry list of accolades that you have, sir. So I, I certainly commend you. A lot of uh, a lot of awards. Your time at South Carolina is certainly mm-hmm. worthwhile. But I want to go back to the beginning for you, Ace. Obviously, you're a guy from the state of Florida. Um, just kind of walk me through your recruitment to South Carolina. What was your recruitment like, and why did you eventually land on being a Gamecock? Uh, my
2: recruitment was really. It was really hands-on. I had Coach Mangus, Coach Jay Mangus. He was there actually since my 10th grade year. He actually offered me a scholarship my 10th grade year in high school, and he just stuck around, and that kind of stood out. You know, that was one of the things that my dad actually told me to pay attention to, you know, just, you know, uh, show interest in the school that really show interest in you, and they stayed around really the longest uh, outside the University of South Florida and West Virginia. Uh, South Carolina stayed around the longest, and they just made the decision easy once I uh, actually
1: took my official visit. For sure. So, Ace, I want to talk about – I want to ask you, do you believe that you were slept on as a prospect at all? Because I took a look at your recruiting profile, because, you know, obviously it's it's been a while since you were recruited. And, I mean, I was kind of a little shocked to see the offer list, the fact you were only a three-star guy. And like I mentioned, when you take a look at all of the accolades you picked up during your college days and then being taken in the fourth round of the NFL draft, I mean, it seems like you were very (laughs) – underrated as a prospect I'm not sure if like height came into play for that but I mean did you feel like going into college and during the recruiting process maybe that people were sleeping on you a little bit
2: uh I would say I would say uh I was more stepped on by maybe like the media we didn't get too much coverage uh where I grew up at uh down in Manatee County we weren't getting too many too much coverage from a lot of big name schools for some reason it started to roll in slowly around the time that um around the time that i was leaving like we get a lot a lot of attention now and it's a lot of guys that come out of this area now and get like the big name school that you look for but i can say like i went to a lot of football camps uh like night at georgia friday night lights at the university of florida and everywhere i went i turned head so it was just uh the people who got to see me who got a chance to actually see me and witness me in person They knew, so those were probably some of the more bigger offers that you actually saw. It was just hard for us to get, like, media coverage as much as these kids get to be.
1: For sure. So you talked about a little bit already your relationships with G.A. Mangus and Steve Spurrier and kind of the recruiting process. But what was it about South Carolina that you would say sold you on it? Because, again, you were coming in at a very interesting time. Obviously, Steve Spurrier was really starting to get the thing rolling. I mean, your first year, you guys go to Atlanta, win the SEC East. What was it that those guys sold to you that this that was the reason you chose South Carolina? What would you say it was for you?
2: Well, I said they didn't really sell me anything, but the truth, you know, just to be able to come in and be able to compete, um, really what what sold me, like I said, was my official vision. was just the people. It was just really like the people out in Columbia. It was just uh, felt like home, and it was just a real easy transition for me to make. Uh, coming from where I come from and uh, just was just always one of my favorite places to go to so it was really just that uh, football was always just football to me and um, shoot, the roster was pretty thin at the position that I was you know going to play so that just made it easier for me to believe that being able to come in come in and compete and uh, play as a freshman so they held up to their end, and that's just how it turned out for them.
1: For sure. So, something I didn't know about you, Ace, your full name is actually Tracy LaVon Sanders, nicknamed Ace. Talk about the nickname, Ace. Where would that come from?
2: Uh, my dad. My dad. I'm a junior, so I'm actually named after gotcha. uh, my dad. So, uh, I was just his firstborn son, so that's where the Ace came from, just the uh, firstborn son. He gave me that name as soon as I was born, and it just stuck.
1: Got you. So, you obviously get on campus, Ace. You're playing for – one of the most legendary Hall of Fame coaches and head coach Steve Spurrier, and obviously you being a really a Swiss Army knife guy that could just do it all over the field. I, I, it was funny. I was taking a look back at your stats and was like, man, I, I don't remember him passing for that many yards, but uh, you could really do it all. So I know Steve Spurrier absolutely loved you and using you in his offense. But talk about sort of your first interactions for Steve Spurrier and what that experience playing for him was like for you.
2: Uh, My first interaction with him was, you know, I had, I, had, it was actually pretty interesting because I had been around a, a bunch of other uh, head coaches who kind of, you know, shared their selves a certain type of way. When you got around Coach Spray, you kind of expected to be, you know, around this person with this big type of like, you know, like traditional ego like, so to speak. But it's like he's just down to earth, man, and he speaks his mind. So it, it just made – like I said, it made stuff a lot easier because they, they were really transparent. So I could already see what kind of people I was dealing with before I even stopped on the helmet, you know. So mm-hmm. just dealing with him for the first time just felt like I had already knew him.
1: No doubt. So 2010, you guys start the season Thursday night against Southern Miss. Ace, you had a big play in that one, a 53-yard rush, your very first collegiate game, which I feel like was almost a – an introduction to you as being a big play, explosive-type guy on a uh, – I believe it was a trick play where Kenny Miles tosses the ball to you, go around the end, gain 53 yards on that. But just talk about playing in your first collegiate game, getting that big explosive play, and I guess you sort of – kind of coming on the scene, if you will, Gamecock fans, obviously we're just learning about you being a true freshman. But just talk about being able to play in that first collegiate game and what the uh, the rush of emotions was like for you after you got that big game. Uh, it
2: just kind of took all the jitters away. To say the least. Um, like you said, that was my first time touching the ball uh, at the collegiate level. So for it to open up like that was just beautiful for I me. Mean, I was actually thankful for the opportunity, honestly, just to be able to put, you know, some type of skills on display that, like you said, will ultimately, you know, kind of let people see, you know, what I can do and what I'm capable of. So that first time I got it, it was just, I don't know, I just held my breath, saw the hole and just hit it. I was just running, just ran, just ran, just kept running. I heard the crowd <laughs> getting louder and louder, so all I could do is just keep running, just keep running. <laughs> That's all I have going through my head was run.
1: Now I, I know Ace. I was actually taking a look at your background. You were a track guy in high school, obviously very, very, very fast. Speed was the name of the game for you. But what would you say? What What made you so good at having the knack for the big play? I, I mean, because you're talking about kind of having that vision, and you know, just just run. I mean, really, is as simple as that. But I mean, why do you think you were so good at basically having the knack for the big play?
2: Uh, I would say basically just that'd be just like as a kid growing up, just always watching the people who did that, you know, wanting to be like those people. So anytime you go outside and you, you're playing, I'm, I'm practicing at the times that we outside having fun. It's like I got to be the guy to make the big play. I just always envisioned it. Like I said, oh, how a Peter Ward do it? You know, those type of guys who go out there and, you know, it's a lot of it's, – it's dazzled to that game, but it's, it, it's, it's still within the game. You know, they're not doing too much, but they do enough to make the crowd ooh and ah, but it's still within the game. So, I always wanted to be that guy just – ever since a kid, just kind of just practice that.
1: No doubt. So, that 2010 season, obviously, Ace, not just for you, but the entire team, was very special. South Carolina wins the SEC East, makes its first-ever trip to Atlanta – um, just talk about for you again, coming in as a freshman, just talk about how special that was to do something at South Carolina that, uh, that had truly never been done before.
2: Uh, man, that was, that was actually, that was really incredible. And I got to say, like, I you wouldn't really pay attention to it until like the next year was coming like to the next year, uh, going into the, the, the to the following season and you, like, really felt how big of an impact it was. And when we came into that next year, we just, you know, we were we were known then. You know, we kind of got some swag back to the team, and everybody was looking for us to do, you know, more big things and keep going and moving forward. So just to be a part of, like, a group of guys who were, who were kind of responsible for bringing that back to the school and carrying it on for the years uh, to come, it was just –
1: it was amazing. No doubt. You talked about that next season. You actually a start twenty eleven off with a bang. A really, I think kind of uh, introduced yourself to the college ball world as an elite punt returner with a touchdown against East Carolina in a game that was very, very back and forth. Kind of, I think I remember you guys were in a big hole, and your punt return was part of that sparking that comeback. But uh, talk about that play specifically. What did you see there, and uh, what led you to score the uh, score the long touchdown to open up twenty eleven?
2: Uh, I just remember that game being just like begging to go back to return and punch that game. Uh, 'cause I wasn't starting returning. It was just Stephon was doing so much stuff. He was just tired, so I got a chance to go back. So, and I told the coach, I just remember telling him like, I'm gonna score. I'm gonna score, <laughs> you know. I just told him like, I'll score. If I'm score, You got to put me back there no more, coach. And uh, when they kicked the ball, he gave me a low one. It was low, so I knew I had a lot of time to kind of just see the field. And um. I saw, a lane. I saw a lane, so I took it and I ran, and it's kind of, it's just weird. It just, it just looked like stuff was just opening up. I mean, of course, like my uh, special teams, like everybody, they made their blocks. I did see everybody finished in the end zone with me, so uh, that made it a lot easier. I don't know if they were just getting excited because I was making guys miss, but they sold out just as much as I sold out. So all I remember is just us crossing the end zone as a team and celebrating in the end zone.
1: It's hard. It's crazy for me to think, Ace, that a guy like you, as great as you were returning punts, I mean, again, in 2012, I talked about SEC Special Teams Player of the Year, something that no other Gamecock has ever done. The fact you would have to be begging Steve Spurrier to get back there and return a punt is sort of a, you can look back and really laugh on that now. Because again, I mean, it's to think how good you were at doing it, the fact that you had to really lobby your way to get in that position is sort of, uh, sort of ironic, I think.
2: Oh, yeah, we had to. And it's just solely because we had some guys that were just topping people with the ball as well in front of me uh, at the time that had already been there. So it's it's almost like you sit back as you know freshman sophomore wait your turn wait your turn wait your turn which you know that's just the name of the game. Uh, and when you finally get the opportunity, kind of just cease it. And that's just what I did. <laughs> just had to make sure I, when I finally got it, I backed up what I said. Had,
1: you had to score on that first one. Make sure you you. you I had uh, to score
2: on that first Yourself right, first yeah. One.
1: make sure you got another chance at it for sure so i want to talk about because as as elite as elite of a, a punt returner as you were ace you were a really really good receiver in your own right as well um jumping to 2012 though you know your first two seasons definitely a solid slot option for the gamecocks you had four total receiving touchdowns in the first two years but i honestly had forgotten in 2012 just how many pure receiving touchdowns you had you had nine in 2012 i mean what would you What would you attribute to that? Because I know right now, like I talked about earlier, you're doing the training with guys, with footwork, with all kinds of different drills and stuff like that down in Florida right now. But, I mean, your development in college, I mean, what would you attribute the numbers blowing up the way they did in 2012 catching the football?
2: Uh, I would say just knowing that the opportunities would be there. Uh, Honestly, that's just for us and a lot of guys. As you can recall, like over the years we went from – a bigger group of, you know, six, three, six, four guys, like, across the board. And as we got down to 2012, you end with, like, me, Nick Jones, Bruce Ellington, Demir Berg and stuff, you know, five, nine guys out there. So it was just kind of fun to be out there kind of, you know, with everybody your size. It gives defenses a, a totally different look. People have to play a totally different way when you're dealing with guys who can run vertical. They gave us a chance to run vertical vertical routes and it just opened up so much more underneath because we were playing with pure speed out there and it was I just attributed to the opportunity presenting itself honestly we worked hard every year in the off season so it was just finally the opportunity presenting itself.
1: I know you're probably biased to this question Ace but just kind of looking at football in general not just South Carolina but you talked about teams that have different style of receivers, whether you're comparing like the Alshon type, the big bodied 6'3", 6'4", guy who can go and get the football or the type like you or the type like Bruce, who's the speed demon, who's going to burn you, who can make you miss. Do you think there's an advantage to one type of receiver or the other that an office centers its game around or do you need a nice mix or what are your opinions on that?
2: Uh, I would say like it's so much that goes into that. Uh, of course, the quarterback has to be in that room as well, just de- depending on really what he's—he's he's like at the end of the day, quarterback is delivering the ball. So whichever one he's used to, I would say, I know it's pros to having big guys because it's just—it's a habit for a, a smaller defensive back. Even if you have good coverage, it's just a big body is just hard to deal with. Mm. But at the same time, you get a guy you don't want to chase around the field twenty-four-seven. I would say, yeah, having a balanced mix of them is—is—is—is is, is, is pretty standard to me just to have a balanced mix of both guys so they both can do something that the other guy can't. But either way you go, I think it's all like preference. It's all preference.
1: For sure. So I want to dive into one of the, uh, one of the many big plays you had in 2012 Ace, and that is the punt return against Missouri. Um, A play that I know Gamecock fans still go back and watch and wonder how in the world did he not get tackled on that play, but uh, a crazy play. I remember you field the punt, you run into your own man, Demario Jeffrey, I believe it was you. You kind of shove him out of the way. You break like, it feels like five, six tackles. A Missouri defender tries to strip the ball. He can't do it. You just keep going. And you uh, I think they stopped you right at the one yard line, which I know probably pissed you off. So talk about that play. I mean, what do you remember from that? And uh, also, how mad were you that you were, were about a yard short of the end zone there?
2: Oh, man, that play was crazy. One thing I do remember is that every move I made, I seen everybody. And that was the, the weird thing. I felt like. Everything was kind of moving slow at the time. Until you watch it in real speed, and I was just—I just remember watching the replays after it was all over. Like, Oh, oh wow! But I remember every single guy that that I uh, came into contact. I knew exactly who I ran into. I knew it was Demario. I seen him clear. Like it was as fast as everything was moving. I remember everything during that play. I remember when the guy was approaching me to strip me uh i covered up well before he even got there because i seen him the entire time i don't know why something told me that he's about to try to strip the ball <laughs> so i like, just took it he went over top and then even as he was grabbing me i saw i don't know if that guy was a center or if he was a like a H back in the punt scheme but i seen him taking a dive right at my legs and that was the stop and he dove out in front of me and it was just I would say getting tackled at the five, I didn't even know I was out of bounds. I just dove. I just remember being out of gas by the time that dude even – I tried to die for the end zone. So I was really just hoping to get up and see the see the ref with his hands up. But, uh, man, I, <laughs> that was just a crazy play, man. It was just a crazy play.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think that's one of the crazier punt returns, I mean, you will ever see. So, Ace, I don't think it's surprising the next one I'm about to ask you about. I'm sure you uh, you've been asked about this one. more times than you can recall and that's the 2012 Georgia game some you know people have referenced your punt return as the loudest that Williams Bryce has ever gotten uh, the loudest they can ever recall it obviously a huge play South Carolina's up 14 nothing you it's because it's a crazy play and it's all right because you muff the punt at first pick it up take off beat everybody to the corner and score the touchdown and Williams Bryce everybody just loses their minds but uh, talk about that play again. What did you see? What do you remember from that play? And then also just that game and that day. I mean, what do you remember from that game, the aftermath of that play again, the crowd, just, just really everything to do with that 2012 Georgia game where you guys took the dogs of the woodshed? Man,
2: it was, really, it was really the defense. The defense had, I mean, all week the defense was just, they were just on another level, you know. And, and they like I said, they came and they played lights out that game as well. And we really just was feeding off the defense. DJ, Clowney, and all those guys, we were just feeding off the defense. And I remember Shaq, Shaq Wilson, coming up to me um, that same drive. That drive was about to begin. It was, and um, he came up to me and he's just like, about to get a three and out right now. <laughs> like, and when they kick it to you, I just want to meet you in the end zone. He was just like, I just want to run it back. I just want you to start. like, I told him the guy I was like, okay, and, and that's what that was. We went out. He got the three and out, so it was kind of like this plan. I mean, like, and they pinned him deep, and I was like, oh, okay. He really got a three and out, like, inside like inside the 25. He got a punt. This is field. This is return area. So i was like, okay. So, I was like, well, he held up to his end of the deal, and I just remember being, like, overly excited before the punt was even kicked. So when I muffed it, it's like all the adrenaline in me was lost at one point in time. And I was like, oh, you know, it's a muffed punt. And you're like, oh, this is bad. I just remember, like, just like the urgency. Like, you got to pick it up. So I just picked it up as fast as I could. When I looked up, for some reason, the first guy that was, that was uh, down to tackle me, he stopped his feet for some reason. And once he did that, I was like, oh, he just gave me some time to make a move. <laughs> so I made a move on him. He missed. And I just got vertical as fast as I could because, you know, it's just a rule of the punt turn. Give me the first 10, give me the first 10, 10 yards and the rest is yours. So I just remember just getting verticals. I had already muffed the punt. So I was just like, oh, I just don't want to make a bad situation, you know, worse. So I get the first 10, get the first 10, and the middle of the field kind of opens up. So now I'm like, okay, keep going. <laughs> so now I get to, uh, it was like maybe like, like you said, it was like one or two guys. And I would just remember making like, the same cut, one to the left and then one, oh, actually one to, yeah, uh, one to the right and then one to the left and then the sideline just opened up. And I got like a good block. And I just remember running to the student section. That's what I do remember. I remember running to the student section and just seeing all the white towels and everybody going crazy and stuff. And I remember getting in the end zone and I remember the first person to come and tackle me. I don't even know where he came from with Marcus. I don't know where he comes and tackles me like, he tackles me. And we're just in the end zone, and I'm thinking we're about to get flagged because everybody's celebrating, the crowd's going crazy. And then, you know, that was just – that was that part as <laughs> well. That was, like, one of my favorite moments, like, being at South Carolina because you did feel the crowd. You felt it on the field. You felt the stadium rumbling. And, like, that was just the one that kind of, like, put the life out of them. Georgia didn't even want to play anymore after that. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the Todd Gurley quote after 2014, but he was in that 12 game, was that he never wanted to hear sandstorm again uh, because uh yeah. I think he, I think he said once you give South Carolina fans something to cheer about they just won't shut up and that was certainly nope. uh that that was certainly the case that night and again I mean just the pandemonium and that weekend from college game day to you guys doing what you did on the field I mean I mean have you ever played in a game that was as m- much fun as that one because I have to imagine that was just that, that, that was just pure fun for you guys going out there and doing what you did
2: uh let me see uh no nah, that probably that Georgia game was it was different but i would say oh man maybe oh beating clemson at clemson that that uh my senior year i mean my junior, uh, my last game playing clemson my junior year and that, that game was fun as well. It was a battle, but it was fun. It was a very fun game because there was just a lot of emotions going on out there as well. But between that Clemson game and that Georgia game, it's definitely the two funnest games I played there.
1: And a perfect segue because I want to talk about that Clemson game, Ace. I, again, it's funny looking back, I forgot just how big of a game you had. I remember the touchdown, obviously, you had, but that game at Clemson in 2012, you had 119 receiving yards and a touchdown. And during your time at Carolina, you went three and zero against those guys. You were part of the five game winning streak. You won the second, third, and fourth of that streak while you were there. Yeah. Um, you know, talk. We'll talk about that game specifically first. Um, I, the thing that's you know it's crazy to think that 2012 game. You guys beat Clemson with a backup quarterback and a backup running back, and Dylan Thompson and Kenny Miles. I mean, just talk about that night. Your play specifically, obviously, with the touchdown, where it's kind of crazy. You catch the football, and there's two guys there, and it looks like one of them's got you wrapped up and like a Madden play or something. You hit the truck stick, the guys just fall right off, and you go in the end zone. I mean, just, just just talk about that night.
2: That that whole night was just, like I said, that was just, you know how to get. I remember pulling up to the stadium, and we seeing, like, the fans holding all kind of crazy signs. Uh man, it was just like a real hostile environment. So it was just we were just so anxious to get on the field and play. And I remember before the game, uh, you know, special teams guys were going warm up. And I remember telling the punter, and it's the only play, this is the one play in that game that just sticks with me. And I'm just like, oh my goodness! I told the punter, I was just like, the first punt that you punt to me, I'm I'm running right past you. <laughs> and he just looked, and he was like, "We're gonna kick it straight to you." And I was like, "Okay." So <laughs> again, he's like, right. <laughs> so the first punt again, actually, it might have been the second one because I think the first punt that we had, we, uh, they were in uh in a uh, like a red zone, like a going in situation, so it wasn't a return available. But so they kicked me one, and kicked me kicked it straight to me. He promised me he'd kick it straight to me. He did just that. He kicked it straight to me. And I remember splitting it right away. Boom, I hit a seam and I saw him. I hit a seam and I know he looked, because that's the first person I looked for. Once I hit one seam, I looked straight for the punter. That just let me know it's the fastest way to point A to beat, straight line. He's right in front of me. So I remember seeing him and it was one guy to beat. It was I think it was like maybe like a twenty five yard return. And it was one guy to beat right in the middle of the field, like right on the uh right on the paint, right on the big call, right at the 50. And I go to make a cut and I see the cut. I'm like, it, uh, it's about to work cause I see him. He's about to overrun it. And I just remember feeling all the paint slip from up under my cleat, and I just fell, like slipping. And I just got up and I looked at the punter and he looked at me. And for the rest of the game, they kicked the ball out of bounds. <laughs> and I was like, oh, I was like, you ain't gonna give me another shot. One more shot. He <laughs> like, kicked the ball out of bounds the rest of the game. They wouldn't kick me the ball again. So that was that play from that game that kind of just sits with me. But uh, the rest of that game, like I said, Dylan came in. Dylan was ready to play. Dylan was ready to play that entire week. Uh, shoot, Connor was ready to play that entire week. Connor, to be honest, but they had to make a decision to, you know, sit Connor down. So Connor was a gamer, man. But we had all the faith. And Dylan, we knew what Dylan can do. And Dylan went out there and he proved himself along with Kenny, along with Mike Davis. He got a couple of all reps that game too. But we knew as receivers between me, Bruce, Nick Bird, KJ Brent, whoever else was out there, us, we knew like that was going to be our game. Because if you look across the board, every receiver pretty pretty much put up some good numbers that game. We threw the ball that game. We won on the outside. uh we blocked on the outsides. We freed up. We I would say like that game The receivers, we had like a complete game, and it took a complete game to beat them, along with our defense just playing lights out. But that
1: that again. punter story yeah, – That I was going to say that punter story is probably one of the funnier things I've heard, because I, I know that's something <laughs> <don't think> anybody <laughs> oh, has heard yeah, about. You, you guys – I was going to say you guys were super it, – it's obvious you guys were super confident coming that night, because I wanted to ask you – uh, Ace, about – I don't know if you've seen the video, but there's a video floating around out there, and I, I don't even know how it got out. But in pregame, um, again, you said you were jawing with the punter. I don't know if you can recall or kind of give some more context to this, but there's a video of DJ Swearinger running out for warm-ups. And I guess the quarterbacks are throwing to each other, warming up, and they're throwing at different guys. And DJ Swearinger runs over to the drill and, like, picks him off and, like, throws the ball away and is just jawing with the guys because, you know, I mean, DJ was crazy, right? I mean, he's, he's a maniac out there, which made it <laughs> great. Do, do you recall – I mean, were you around when that happened? Do you recall that at all? Because it's – I mean, it's one of the great clips. I mean, it is an awesome clip. And if you haven't seen it, I'll definitely show it to you. But, I mean, was there a lot of pregame jawing going on? Because it obviously seems like you guys were very confident playing against those guys.
2: Uh, We were, they, we were amped to play against Michigan. That was just – you got a chance to, p- to play against a team from another conference that had a lot of tradition as well. And, uh, yeah, no, I was there. I was definitely right there when DJ when that happened with DJ. But the whole context of that was, well, it was like pregame. And basically special teams go out and they warm up. And Michigan basically had the entire field. So when we came out, it was like kind of no room for us to stretch or, I mean, uh, kind of get loose and warm up. So that was DJ's way of telling them, you know, the hell out of the spot. Like you go to the other side of the field. We on this end, y'all can take that in. They wouldn't move. So that was DJ's, you know, way of, okay, I'm done talking. We snap this ball. I'll catch it. i take it. i punt it down to the other end. And then that's kind of what started the join, started with the join. And then all the strength coaches and stuff, they had to come and kind of separate us kind of separate us uh in that sense but that that happened uh yeah no that 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 definitely happened that game and that was it was bigger (laughs) than that video actually made it look because we actually it was it was a good amount of people good amount of people out there but uh that's all it was it was just we wanted them to move and go down to that end of the field but they wanted to warm up using the whole field I don't know if that's what they were used to but that's not what we were used to, so we'd had to get some straightening. That's all.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, I had to ask you because obviously I saw the Twitter exchange you had with uh, Seth Strickland and Andrew Clifford, and you guys kind of reliving the story. And I'm like, man, we we've got to get some more context to this because it's uh, and it's funny for whatever reason, Michigan seems to rub a lot of people the wrong way. I know they had a couple years ago the Michigan State they're stomping on the logo, even when South Carolina played them in the Outback Bowl. Uh, two years ago there was jawing at the bowling alley. You thought like people were gonna get in a fight. So that, I mean, that is just that is classic. Yeah, to, it, it feels so on brand for a guy like DJ Swearinger to kind of get things going like that.
2: Yeah, I felt like uh, it was kind of like, I felt like after a while it was kind of like mind tricks. I feel like after a while, yeah, that's what Michigan does—little mind tricks, little mind tricks. But they didn't know who they were dealing with as far as like goes with DJ. Like he's all for that. That's his favorite thing to do. So. At the end of the day, I think that plan kind of backfired on him.
1: No doubt. How much better did it make you guys as receivers going up against guys like DJ and Gilmore and Antonio Allen and these other guys in practice? Because, I mean, again, you see what DJ Swearinger is doing in the league right now. You see what a guy like Melvin Ingram even is doing in the league right now, Jadavion Clowney. But, I mean, it, it had to make you guys really sharp as receivers when you're taking on a guy like a DJ Swearinger or Gilmore any of those other guys.
2: I never felt like I would have to play against a, a better defense anytime I stepped out on the field, King Tiger. Any time I never like I, I played in practice against the best defense in my opinion those years in the country at the time. And it's like anytime we stepped on the field I didn't I never felt like well these guys are better than the guys that we have. And it just made it so much easier, so much easier you know, to get out there and just go and play with all the confidence that we play with in the world. Like I said, smaller guys still out there playing big. That's where the confidence comes from. It comes from battling every day in practice with these guys who don't let up. You know, they play every practice, like it's a game, you got guys out there like like DJ who takes everything serious, everything. Every play, then you get the defense and feeds off it. And not only are they talented, now they're relentless in they're talented. Now they're studying the game plans more, more and more and more. It got to the point where they knew our formations, they knew our sets, so it made practice even harder, harder to succeed. And that was us. We had to respond to it, even as being as young of a group we was. We had to figure out how to adapt, and, and that just made that, that that just helped so much. It helped a lot.
1: So Ace, you talked. You know, we already touched on a little bit of what happened in the pregame against Michigan and that Outback Bowl win, but let's talk about the actual game because. You went off that day. I mean, you were feeling it. You had a punt return for a touchdown. You had two receiving touchdowns in that one in a game that was absolutely crazy. You know, Dylan Thompson hits Bruce for the game-winning score. I mean, just a wild college football game. But like I said, you absolutely went off that day. I mean, what was working for you? Because, I mean, like I said, you jumped off the stat sheet.
2: (laughs) I was, I don't know, maybe it was just, I I felt really good that day. Once I got off the bus, like, I don't know, I felt like, this is gonna be a good day. And you know, normally as a player, you you don't I I say like for myself, you don't normally get those feelings. You get you walk into that stadium and you're confident, you know, that you're gonna play good, you're gonna play well, but it's it's not often when you get out the field, you just get on off the bus and you're just like, Yeah, this'll be the day. Like this <laughs> this is the day where I go off, Like, This is the day. Like it was really clear to me. So, like I said, it was one of another games where it kind of like open. Once we had like that whole exchange before the game, I told her, that is the same thing. As soon as you kick to me, I'll be running past you as well. That was just kind of like my thing. So, um, it was a lot of drawing. Like you said, that kind of got everything going. Uh, shoot. It was just a different. It was just the vibe of that game was something different. It was maybe that entire practice week being home practicing, I was closer to home, and uh, I was able to visit with some of my hometown friends, introduce them to some of my friends from school, and kind of you know, kind of connect the two worlds. It was just a lot more for me, uh, just being back home in Tampa. And that game, man, that game was. It was. It was a battle. It was a battle, I could say at least that that actually does go up there with that Georgia game and that Clemson game. That Michigan game definitely goes up there. That may actually be the number one game that I ever played in just due to just, like you said, the theatrics of it, how everything kind of ended, how it played out. Because uh, after that last touchdown that I did catch, uh, that was actually – and that was my, that was another one of my arguments because I think I've seen a tweet that uh, – that DJ tagged in it, and it was his three play sequence from Arkansas, from the Arkansas game, from the hit. He had uh, two personal fouls, and then he had a uh, pick six, and it was like that might have been the best three play sequence in college football. And I told him, I was like, well, you know, I I, I like that three play sequence, but I think the Michigan sequence is actually better because the very next play following the hit was the deep was my second touchdown the deep ball touchdown that I actually thought in the back of the end zone that followed that was the very next play so it went from the bad call Clowney said and then we bombed him like and then we bombed him and that kind of like really set the tone for everybody like Clowney set the stage and then like we just capitalized off everything because after Clowney hit that hit that guy coach Spurrier I saw a light it just lit up in coach he had it in his mind already like we're taking a shot, like right now, (laughs) we're taking a shot right now, got momentum, found gave us momentum, we're taking a shot, he looked around, and he looked, and I was like, yeah, me, (laughs) he (laughs) was like, you think you can beat him, and I was like, I know I could beat him, (laughs) and it was so funny when we came out, because they had been running like this cover four defense the entire game, and their safeties would come up, and they were playing like around uh, seven to eight yards. And that's why when he asked, he was like, you think you can beat him? I was like, I know I can because they were playing at seven to eight. But when we broke that huddle, for some reason, the safeties backed up to 12. And I was like, ah, wow. (laughs) I was like, okay, all right. So I just had to chase him down. And the play was literally like just a streak. It was supposed to just be a streak right down the hash. And it was, I think, uh, it was either me. I mean, it was either Bruce or Nick and other. So I, and that's all we just had streaks we just ran verticals and we just told connie just throw it we taking a shot throw it either out the back of the end zone the only way you can catch it and that's a, that's what he did i remember running around and i remember the guy just like starting backpedal like immediately and i was like it hey, is no way i'm about to run past him like he's already like 20 yards you know, down the field. <laughs> I was like, he must be feeling shot coming. I was like, well, that makes sense. Big play momentum. Co- defensive coaches probably telling that. So I just remember I just turned the route into like a double move. So I kind of just stuttered. And once I stuttered, he stopped his feet. And I was like, this is my only chance. So once he stopped his feet, I finally got a chance to close his position and Connor threw like the perfect pass. It dropped like right in the back of the end zone. And on the catch, once I caught it, it popped up out of my hand because like I was running so fast just trying to run the ball down. I was running like I was scared, like I was like, I'm not even gonna be able to judge this ball. Like you just like in a dead out sprint. No control and nothing. So when it touched my hand, it bounced up in the air. And once it popped up, I was able to see it clear. So I grabbed it and my other foot was already dragging on the ground. But I wasn't sure if they'd give me a give me the catch, you know, just based off if I had control or not. So I did my best to put my other foot down. And that one, I got a toe in. So once I secured the catch, I knew I was like, well, that's a touch. That's a catch. Like, I knew it was a touchdown. So once I caught it, people didn't know, like, I, like that, that that other foot that I put down, I hyperextended my knee so bad. Like, it went. Like, it was, like, the most. Like, you can see it clear as day on the replay. Yeah. And then I slide into the back of the wall. It's a brick wall in the back. It was a brick wall in the back of, like, the Buck Stadium, like, where all the damage and stuff. Hey, we slide in the back. Boom, I hit my head on the wall. I hit my head on the wall. I go out for a minute. For like maybe like ten seconds, I'm out in the back of the end zone. And I feel I actually I didn't even feel him. I hear Bruce. I hear Bruce in my ear. He just like, touchdown, like, you caught it you caught that. You, you caught I was like, Wait, what? I was like, I caught I had the ball in my hand. I was like, So we get up. Now we're celebrating like it was. It was like really like a, a, a show me the money like type of, type of deal. So we get up and celebrating. So they threw a flag on me. They threw, uh, we got unsportsmanlike. We got everything. Like it was just it was going crazy at that point in time. Like that was like one of my favorite plays as well. That one right there. Just the whole aftermath of that. Like just like you said, like the theatrics
1: of it. Just the
2: call, the hit, the touchdown, the fans being at home. Everything. It was just crazy, man. It was crazy.
1: Yeah, it's funny. I was going to say, you got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty for, you know, and you're like, I'm, I'm knocked out, man. I'm not celebrating at all. I can't get up. That's <laughs> the- I'm <laughs> laying down here. I'm not trying to milk it or anything. And, like, well, we, and I'm just genuinely uns- knocked out. We
2: got the unsportsmanlike conduct once, once I got up. Once Bruce, like, once I figured <laughs> out everything, what was going on, me and Bruce, we got up and we went crazy, like, in the end zone. Like, I'm John with the dude that was covering me. Because it was number 30. He was talking the whole game. Like, that defense talked so much smack, too. And, like, we were beating them the whole game. And, like, we couldn't figure out, like, why are they still talking? Like, we've been, like, <laughs> like they just never stopped talking, never stopped talking. Even to the end of that game, they were still talking crap. I was like, all right. But, yeah, we got we got a good penalty. But it was all right, though. It was cool.
1: <laughs> so, you already talked about it, Ace. But the, the sequence of events, the clowning hit in that one, I always like to get – other people's perspective from it especially I mean you were on the sideline so you you know obviously the, the play before the fourth down that I mean you guys got absolutely robbed on that there's no way he got that first down but oh, uh, man. that that play the hit I mean it's a it's a play that will never there you'll never stop seeing replays of that for as long as college football exists um, d- just yeah, talk about that play. I mean, have you ever seen a dude get decapitated the way that Michigan running back did
2: and like I tell everybody, every time they ask me about it, it's just me personally, I did not see the hit live. We were still so upset about the call that we were on the sideline still going crazy before they snapped the ball again. <laughs> so as we're on the sideline, we're talking, we're talking, we're going we're still Depending, you know, we was just a lot of commotion on the sideline. Out of nowhere, you just hear collision. I heard it. I didn't see it. I heard it. And it was just like a car crash, just, just boom. So we turned around and like you could hear the crowd just the ooh. So we turn around and we just I just see all the garnet going crazy. So we look up at the uh, at the jumbotron and they showed the replay. And that's when I was like, oh wow, he about killed a guy. <laughs> like he yeah, about killed the guy. So uh like I said, that was just the craziest, like even in that stadium, they just kept replaying and replaying and replaying, and I was mm-hmm. like, I'm shocked that dude got up and walked away from that.
1: <laughs> you know that—that's the running joke is that like everybody says you know nobody's heard from that guy since. And I mean, it, I mean, I don't know. He might not be. I don't. You know, I don't know where he's at now. <laughs> I wonder I how nobody asked about it because I mean, to be on the receiving end of that, I, I just I can't even fathom it. to Be honest with you, I mean, he would yeah, nah, he came it broke most
2: through people. clean. He came through clean. That was the had to be the scariest sight that dude has ever seen in his life.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so ace i want to move into that ended up being your last game in garnet and black you make the decision to clear, declare for the nfl draft um just talk about kind of what went into your decision um how close were you to maybe coming back or were you even close at all but just talk about making that decision maybe how tough it was for you what you went through and why you ultimately decided to go ahead and declare for the nfl
2: uh, I just really seen an opportunity that was there. I had been battling with it for a while. Actually, I actually waited all the way up until the last day to actually be able to officially declare. I had to return back to school and everything. I had to, went back to my, you know, my uh, apartment with my roommate and stuff. Had a discussion with Nick Jones. Had a discussion with him. Talked about it, and it was just, I just felt the opportunity was there you know, to go ahead and just make that leap, and um, that's just kind of like what I was always taught, like, you got an opportunity to go and go and cease it, and that's just, that was just the ultimate decision that I came down to. I just wanted to go and play football at the highest level, always being a dream, and that dream actually being, you know, in reach, and for me to actually touch it and feel it, I was just ready to go after it.
1: So talk about, you know, Ace, again, you're taking in the fourth round of the 2013 NFL draft, 101st pick overall. Uh, but the team that drafts you is the Jacksonville Jaguars. You're, you know, one of your home teams, if you will, again, you being from the state of Florida. Just talk about the emotions you have when you get that call and then to find out that you're going to be staying in your home state. How special was that for you?
2: I mean, that was, that was really special. Uh um especially like it it being like a total shock. It was a total surprise. I had not talked to Jacksonville one day. I hadn't talked to him at all. Like the entire entire process, I had never heard from Jacksonville. So it was just a a complete shock. Um, I just remember being at home, watching the draft uh, with my parents. I'm uh, signing some uh, rookie cards, the whole deal. And I have family in Jacksonville. So, um, Jacksonville wasn't on the clock at the time. I believe it was Detroit, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And I had heard from Detroit several times. Uh, if I'm not mistaken, that was Detroit. It could have been somebody else on the on the, that was actually on the clock when they actually called because they traded up for the pick. But I didn't even see them actually trade. So, when the 904 number came through my cell phone, I did not, I declined the call because I'm looking at the job, I'm like, nobody's supposed to be calling my phone, you know, today. <laughs> That's not, you know, a car. So it's like a 904, and I'm thinking it's family in Jacksonville. Mm-hmm. So I look back up, they call again, so once they call again, I look at the phone, like, well, why does this number keep calling? So then I look back up at the screen, and it's like, Jacksonville is on the clock, and I'm like, you got to be like,
0: gotta, I
2: was like, you got to so, so you
1: declined it. the phone call the first. I declined,
2: I that did not, scary. I declined that first call. I did, I declined that first call and I looked up at the screen again and I was like, oh wow. So I answered the phone like that. I click over, I just run outside and I, you know, I answered the phone. they like, oh, we thought you, you know, they get on the phone. It's Davy. like, I thought she didn't want to play for that. I was like, nah, I had no idea. Like, <laughs> I was like, no, 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 I definitely want to play, you know. It was just a crazy day. Then my parents, they all run out – they run out behind me and asking who was on the phone. And I'm like, just look at the TV, (laughs) you know, and stuff like that. So, uh, nah, that day was – that day was awesome. That was an awesome day.
1: For sure. So, you joined Jacksonville again, Ace. Uh, I'm not going to go too much into detail with – you know, obviously your NFL career got off to a good start. You scored your first – NFL touchdown December 15th, 2013, against Buffalo. But, you know, overall, and again, not to be negative, but I want to get your take on it. You know, I think the thing that people say a lot about you is, you know, they're like, they can't believe that you weren't like an expo- explosive return man or just a fit in someone's offense. I know you had some things that happened as far as off the field or with the NFL or whatever, but. When you take a look back at your NFL career, what would you say are the things that stand out that you learned? And if there's anything, if you could go back and change anything, would you, and if so, what would they be?
2: I would say the stuff that I do look back on, like, in my career, I actually learned that I learned that you can never stop learning. You know, that was the one thing that I did take away from everything, despite everything that did happen. Uh, I know a lot of people have their – You know, their thoughts and their opinions on what they believe was going on. And the one thing that I could, that I wish I could change is that I had just really been a lot more just mentally tough in a lot of the situations that I had going on off the field, I would say. Not so much about football at all. I would say um, just life in general with stuff that life throws at you and stuff. I just wish I had been a little mentally, a little more mentally ready, a little more mentally strong, a little more mature um and that that would have helped a lot because honestly man play like actually just being out there on the field and being able to compete I never had an issue with that um any of my coaches or anybody who ever uh had opportunity to coach me any of my teammates who ever had an opportunity to play y'all know they could vouch for me that was never like really an issue just really outside stuff honestly so if I could just change and take one thing back that'd be it that would definitely be it and um i just feel like that probably would have saved a lot of stuff you know
1: now i'll, I'll say ace the thing that really shocks me is it because i mean listen guys let's just face it you know people we're human beings we make mistakes get second chances whatever and i mean you're seeing it in the nfl right now you think okay. of uh, what's the guy's name tyree kill with the kansas city chiefs I mean all the stuff going on with him kareem i mean there are just example after example after example in the nfl but i mean The thing – try to explain this to me. The thing that shocks me the most when I look at your career is that no one else gave you a shot, or it appears they didn't. I mean, after the Jacksonville experiment went the way it did, were there teams calling you, whether it was NFL teams, was there any CFL? And if you did play after the Jags, I apologize. I didn't see it. But, I mean, what do you think the reasoning is behind another team not wanting to give you an opportunity? Or if they did give you another opportunity, why do you think it didn't work out?
2: Uh, It was really – it was me. Uh, It's still teams, especially from CFL, that called me to come and play today. Uh, Really, I had opportunities and stuff lined up. I even did a great job. But like I said, I had to step away. I really just stepped away. Like I said, a lot of people do have, you know, like their conceptions of what happened or why I wasn't playing anymore. But just the answer is it was just me. I just didn't go back. I just never went back. I never went back to try. Again I took maybe one trip like as soon as I got to, as uh, soon as I got cleared I got called out by the Jets and I went and I tried out uh but I was nowhere near in shape or in any type of shape to even be ready to play. Like I had completely stepped away and then just thought, Oh, you can just jump back in and play and kinda like really kinda disrespected the game. So it's like I had just stepped away for for the longest and I just stayed away, honestly.
1: So Ace, obviously, you know, looking to now, you're still obviously very involved with the game of football. You know, it's funny, I wrote down here, life after football, but I don't know there really is after football for you because if you take a look at your Instagram or any of your social media pages, you're obviously still training guys. I, I kind of equate it similar to what Stephen Garcia and Perry Orth are doing, but you're doing it with wide receivers and maybe defensive backs and really skill position players. But just kind of talk about what you've been up to since those NFL days, your training, if you've got an official, like, business with it or whatever, just kind of what Ace Sanders has been doing with uh, football in the state of Florida.
2: Yeah, I, yeah, you're right. You hit that right on the head. It's, it's really not a life after football. It's kind of like it kind of – football isn't you, but it's just like a real big part of you have been playing for so long. Like I said, I've been a part of the sports since, you know, youth league, and people don't really look at it that long. But my career started in youth league and all the way up until the NFL. That's what – long time of just being wrapped up in one thing so it's it's almost like second nature to you so once I came home for I mean for a while I had just tried to do well I was really doing other stuff I still do but it's like the the, like the the feeling of just wanting to be out on the field and really just be around the sport rather than anything else just the pure form of the sport like that just kept calling my name so it's it started off like I was just doing stuff like with my family members and stuff and kinda of teaching them and then just word of mouth got going word of mouth. So then yeah, it did exactly become a training business and it is similar to what Steven and uh, Perry does. Uh me and Steven always talk about doing some collaboration stuff so that stuff could be coming soon. Uh but it's just fun to be around man. I like dealing with kids. I like seeing that seeing the um, the youth play this game, like, at a level where it's kind of almost, it's, it's not tampered with yet, you know, as far as the business aspect and everything else, but it's still pretty much a game almost, you know. It's getting a little advanced now on the youth level, but it's like it's still a game at the end of the day, and it's like just something you can have fun with, something that you can just, you know, go out on the field, and if that's your escape from whatever you're doing, then that's what we're out here doing, and. I just like to see them get after it and go after. it. Uh, I'm around a lot of high school athletes. I'm, uh, I'm around just athletes in general. And I'm actually learning a lot about other sports as well. And it's, I don't know, man. It's just, it's just, it's fulfilling. So,
1: so kind of off the wall question here. Switching gears, Ace. I'm not going to ask you to do a Steve Spurrier impression unless you want to do it. If you got a really <laughs> good one. But when you played, who was the guy? That had the best. Who could mimic Spurrier the best?
2: Oh man.
1: Cause I know a to lot me, of people try to do it, but there are definitely some guys I feel like that stand out as they've really got it down fat.
2: To me, Dylan Thompson is really good. Like, <laughs> in my opinion, I, I would say Dylan. Dylan Thompson does a good one. Uh yeah, that'll be my go to. That's my go to. It'll be it'll be Dylan.
1: Do you do you have any good Spurrier stories that you can tell in the airways? Maybe him like ripping into you at practice. Or I mean, I've heard a lot of different stories and a lot a lot of different guys about uh, about Spurrier, and especially with his wide receivers, because I know he you know nothing compares to how hard he was on his quarterbacks. But I, I had Mo Brown on the show a couple of months ago, and he talked about as a wide receiver, the the absolute worst thing you could do was drop the football, because he is going to make you feel so bad about it. Um, do you have any good Spurrier stories, maybe not coming in, in a negative light, maybe in a positive light after you did something good? But uh, what's your best Spurrier story you've got?
2: <laughs> it would just have to be any time that we're in the film room. And Mo, Mo has a point. He definitely has a point, like dropping the ball. It's just any mistake on offense. Um, one that I just remember, like, particularly standing out to me is uh, the LSU game. We had a route. Uh and it wasn't even actually he got on me, it was actually he got on Connor, but it was just really like sarcastic, like one of those things that's just like, oh God, <laughs> like <laughs> so we had a route uh on and I remember uh it was a curl pattern and it's like for some reason like the game film that we had had the perfect angle so you to see like everything open up clearly. And I remember in the game, Connor born back like well, we ran a curl route. And Connor didn't throw it, but he scrambled and he got some yards. So, but I think Coach Furrier wanted to protect him more. So he was like, Why don't you throw the ball? You know, why don't you just throw it so you won't have to run? You know, he's like, I didn't see him. I didn't see anybody open. So you go back on the film and you watch it, and it's like uh, Connor's head, the angle that it looks like on the film is like he's looking right at the receiver. <laughs> and he's coming like right into his vision. It's like, The angle that they had was like right there, and it's like, oh, did you not? Like it was one of those like you said you did. So he stops, he pauses it like right at that point, and he just gets quiet. So everybody's like, what are you doing? They're like, what's going on? So he looks back at Connor, and he's just like, he said you didn't see him. (laughs) So we like, oh, so now he's just like doing the whole coach like stop rewind. Stop it! Rewind it! Stop it! Rewind it! So now everybody's sitting there, and he's like, and he looks like he's just like, oh, it looks like you're looking right at him. We might have to get you some glasses, and then just skips over to the next place and it's just like, but it's like so nonchalant. It's like we have so many of those episodes, like in that meeting room. It's like this is just classics where you know, like business is the way.
1: How are, the how are you guys able to keep a straight face during this? Because I mean, this sounds hilarious. I mean, maybe it's not yeah. in the moment, but this sounds hysterical.
2: The guy that can't, that has to keep a straight face, is the guy who's getting uh, in the guy who, he, who he's talking to. Everybody else can kind of laugh like I was I was like real good for just like slouching down in my chair and kind of because laugh. <laughs> it was funny to me. There's no way that you hold a straight face like within any of that stuff. None of that stuff. You can hold a straight face at all. Anytime he gets into something and it, it's nobody, we're going to laugh like it's funny. It's, it's, it's undeniably funny.
1: So Ace, I want to kind of switch gears to you being a punt returner, and I'm citing your latest Instagram post. You put up a video, I think it was from pro day, of you catching punts, but um, you're talking about tracking the ball, and you also talk about that you you recall losing two punts in your career, and they still haunt you to this day. But I want you to talk about first off, what does it take? Take me into the mind of someone who is an elite punt returner. I mean, what goes into that? Because from what I've heard special team coaches say, you know, a lot of it is just effort, wanting to be good at that position, wanting to be good at special teams. But it's also uh, part two of that question. Take me into your mind as far as those two – because I don't remember you missing any. But take me into those two uh, two punt returns you missed or muffed, if, if have you, and uh, do they still eat you up to this day? The
0: uh, two that I
2: can recall is uh, – I'm going to say we played – um, I think I lost one that game and I lost one in London against the Cowboys. Mm. And, uh, they definitely, those are the two that I can remember. And, uh, those definitely haunt me still to this day because like punt return is just something I really prided myself on because that was really the first, uh, position that really gave me an opportunity to showcase my skills. So it's like, I respected and I loved it for that. And, um, as far as what you said about, uh, they say special teams, is really effort. That's just, that's one side of it. Um, effort is just one side of it. Just like it's, it's, that's just one side of football. We need the effort. You have to want to do it and want to be good. Yes. That's one side of it. Cause a lot of people look at special teams like it is not as important as the other aspects of the game, offense, defense, but as you can see, special teams, it can, it can make or break a game. Like it can make or break a game. So, um, really, in my mind, it wasn't just the effort. It was just, we want to be good. We want to be the best at it. You know, we want to be the best at the stuff that we did, and it kind of changed for us. Uh, who changed it for me was uh, <laughs> I feel real bad, because now I'm forgetting my coach's name. <laughs> from South Carolina, my special team coach, he came over from LSU my 2012 year. Oh, my goodness. He was so quiet, but he he had so much knowledge and insight, and he just was the one that kind of put it in my head to just play. You know, he had coached the, I'm going, I feel really bad now because I, I really can't recall his name. But he he's the one that had uh, the honey badge and everybody at LSU. So he introduced us to just a man on man blocking scheme and just really told us to just be better than the next guy, give us effort. Uh, and really, he he kind of instilled that in me just want to be really good back there. Every time I called the ball, it was. It was supposed to be a touchdown. And that's just what I believe. Anytime I touched it back there, it was supposed to be a touchdown. Like our offense deserves a break.
1: <laughs> so I think twenty twelve I just looked it up. It was Joe Robinson was the special teams coordinator. Is that who you're talking Coach about? Joe Rob. Joe Rob. Joe Rob, yes sir. Yeah, yeah. So coach I, I, I was like, I, I can't let him. I can't let him beat himself up over there. I, I can look you this can't, up.
2: Exactly. Thank you, I Coach Joe Rob. <laughs> yeah, yes. I gotta, I, gotta I, focus. If even, I saw him in person right now. I know exactly who he right. is. Right. <laughs> even I was
1: like, God, I, I kind of don't remember either. Joe <laughs> Joe you know. I, just, and and somebody, not,
2: I kept going back to Coach Beamer, and I'm like, no, it wasn't Coach Beamer. It was after Coach Beamer. I remember right. Coach Beamer left, and it was after Coach Beamer. Coach Joe Rob. He was so quiet, man. But he, he was like. He knew how to to get a point across. He knew how to get a point across.
1: So, Ace, I'm going to get you out of here before I do. I got a simple question for you. When you look back on your Gamecocks career, your career in Garnet and Black, uh, if you had to pick one, because I know there's a lot of them for you, what would you say is your favorite memory at South Carolina?
2: My favorite memory at South Carolina, man, it would just, it would still have to be beating Alabama being Alabama my friend, like, being on that team my freshman year, actually being out there and actually being a part of that game just because that game was – it was – that year, that that, just, that entire game was just crazy because nobody expected us to come and jump out the way that we did and actually – and finish the game and actually – actually really beat Alabama. Like, it wasn't a one of those games that went down to the wire. <laughs> We started off beating them, and we beat them. Like, it was like one of the games that really woke up everybody. I was like, what just happened? And it was like, yeah. <laughs> you know exactly what just happened was the defending champion just been knocked off <laughs> like, ASAP, you know. So just being a part of that, that was just amazing, and just knowing how the crowd was and, Remembering the aftermath of the game, I remember I think a guy got hit by a car. Somebody ran somebody over. I feel like after that game was over, it was like a bunch of accidents. Like the fans were hostile. Like it was like violence after that game. It was crazy. It was crazy. It was just memorable. Like you said, the most memorable moment was that one because of everything that followed that game. It was just chaos. It was crazy.
1: <laughs> no, no doubt that is that is certainly one of the favorite. Me- I mean, we we we're still we're still talking about that game to this day and i'm sure you'll you'll be tuned in uh september when the gamecocks play alabama i i think the over under said it probably a million times they show highlights from the 2010 game so oh
2: no i definitely plan on being in attendance at that game okay definitely i wouldn't miss that game
1: (laughs) well we'll have to link up definitely i appreciate you taking the time in i i will say it was a lot of fun to watch you do what you did best in garnet and black and great to hear you're doing well and uh Obviously, yeah, if you're going to be in town, we can link up uh, at the tailgate or in the stadium or whatever. But definitely would love to do it again sometime, talk some ball, and uh, just talk some Gamecocks, man. So we'd love to have you on anytime.
2: Oh, I appreciate that, man. I definitely link up with you once so I touch down there. Definitely.
1: For sure. So for Ace Sanders, I'm Chris Phillips. We appreciate you guys tuning in. And we'll catch you next time on another episode of This Spurs Up